Welcome. Good evening. Any questions tonight? Our Godbrother Parmeshwar Prabhu. Parmeshwar Prabhu Kijai. He asked me to ask you a little. I was just wondering how Advaita Prabhu, who is God, has you know so many sons, and the some of them have apparently deviated from emotional service quite. Adjust that idea. He wanted to know, but think about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, a little background as far as possible uh, to a question that uh, pertains more to those who are quite familiar with the uh, with the tradition and tradition and its history. It's complicated <laughs> where to begin, but um, um, we have a understanding of the Godhead that um, involves a multitude of expressions of the same um, original foundational fountainhead, if you will, of divinity. Hmm. Um, and the different expressions or faces of the Godhead that are said to be asankhya, un- uncountable, hmm. they uh, by and large pertain to or correspond with uh, different approaches to the Absolute. People approach in different ways, and so the Godhead responds in different ways, some of which involve, at least in response to loving approaches, um, revealing uh, himself in different uh, forms. Um, So there's a, if you will, there's a correspondence between love of God and God. They're one, in that you can't have one without the other. If someone says they're God, you might say, well, where are your devotees? <laughs> Where's your constituency? Hmm. So you, you, need, you need both. You can't have the teacher. There's no meaning to a teacher. If I declare that I'm a teacher, but I have no students, it's rather meaningless. So <clears throat> they're one in this sense. They correspond with them. You can't have one without the other. At the same time, they're different. The teacher and the student are also different. So there's a unity and diversity, if you will. And this is a nice point with regard also to to teacher and student because um, the idea of a teacher can be a little bit, uh, what would you say, ominous or uh, uh, at times. In Western culture, full of individuality and self-determination as it's thought, as opposed to Eastern culture, which is like pervaded with the idea of uh, gratitude, living with gratitude in relation to nature, and um, um, uh, teachers everywhere on every level uh, with whom we show regard and so forth. Uh, I was talking with Bhakti Lata and her mother, mother, right, and father, came to see me, oh, I don't know, some time back and hit it off pretty well with Dad, but Mom <coughs> took exception to the fact that 
bhakti lata um, uh, not being that um, attuned <laughs> to the sensibilities that might arise in her um, mother and father upon departing from the room bowed her head before me goodness and so her mother thought that's kind of weird you know um, <laughs> uh, and so there, there but incidentally there's different ways to do that depending on where you are <laughs> that it might not you know, draw uh, cause people to arrive at um, conclusions that are erroneous and uh, uh, of course uh, this is just a different, in one sense, a different cultural um, expression of regard. Um, like you might, you know, applaud after someone talks. We don't tend to do that. Um, we, we rather than um, shaking hands, you know, this is the this is the Eastern Hindu uh, expression of greeting, folding the hands, and so forth. So. Um, so, at any rate, it's there are some cultural differences you have to take the, the essence, and uh, and really you, you want to take the essence of the spiritual path, and at the same time, embrace a- cultural aspects from either side. Let's say, for example, it might be uh, charming, sweet. It might help to foster the pursuit of essential uh, spiritual life. Mm. There was a fellow who was kind of dismissing Eastern culture considerably and wanted to entirely uh, represent the our tradition through Western uh, expression and so forth. And I asked him, uh, "Do you wear your shoes <laughs> in the house?" <laughs> so there's some good cultural aspects. <laughs> also, <laughs> just to name one that uh, might be worth incorporating. <clears throat> I've learned, so, as, as an aside. But, uh, <laughs> but um, the reverential uh, approach to life, to nature, uh, the idea that um, um, by, as I often say, it's actually a quote from Grover Cleveland, if you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. So if you approach nature, um, the world, with that type of, and how would how would how would that express itself? Well, again, uh, in a simplistic way through gratitude. We were talking a little bit about it last night. We're gracious for the sun. We we stop for a moment and think that my eyes, my sense of sight, is not just independent. That I can just look wherever I want, whenever I whenever I want. I require things like some small things like the sun, <laughs> which, you know, we, we tend to ignore in one sense when we are driven to think of a self-determining, independent, uh, kind of marble man as it used to be, reality. Um, but if the sun, it you know, which comes up of its own accord, there's not much you can do to bring it up early or have it go down later. She can change the clocks and try to make it seem like that. But it is time. It is representative. It is the big hand of time, the big clock. Everybody's got, you know, well, not me, one on their hand or 
most people, but there it is. It can be loom uh, larger and have greater uh, significance. But we forget about the fact that, just using this example, to see, we're dependent on light, hmm? whether it be reflected or um, exploited through to, th- from fire to, uh, to electricity, for example, and so forth. So, so to acknowledge that doesn't seem like a, a backward and primitive thing. Um, and uh, if it, that takes the shape, if you will, of uh, uh, bowing before the sun, we have in yoga, we have the um, Surya Namaskar, right? So the, the this asana, the uh, asana, uh, bowing to the sun. Uh, this is a beautiful uh, idea. And the moon and stars and and uh, other aspects of nature, wind, air, that we are dependent upon in order to exercise, express ourselves through this, the senses, which is what the body is constituted of, knowledge acquiring senses, senses, senses of perception, that is, and active senses like the arms and legs and so forth, to function uh, with these uh, this equipment, these tools, if you will, we're, we're dependent. Um, on nature, we're dependent on our our parents to be here in the first place, and so forth. So, very uh, um, Hindu culture is very uh, one, much one of living with uh, with gratitude, and and this is a kind of basic expression of love. So, as I say, if you approach someone with love, they'll tell you all their secrets. So, with gratitude, we live in the world. We might find out things that we couldn't find out by trying to conquer nature, if you will. Um, so, um, um, Eastern, Western, different um, approaches, and I'm not sure how we got to that bowing down um, example, what came to my mind, but um, uh, we were talking about the, the fact that the God it has different faces and expresses himself in different ways and primarily um, uh, responds to the way in which he's approached. And if he's approached lovingly, he then he shows a certain face and may appear at different places and different cultures and different times. And um, and so we're kind of pluralists in a sense like that. We acknowledge the, the uh, different forms of divinity and different expressions of love for him within certain parameters, parameters being expressions of love that are actually ego-effacing, that seek to deconstruct the false sense of identity that we're moving under that uh, is is not um, at its root gracious, thankful, what to speak of being a giver and a lover um, when we are identified with the body-mind complex uh, without any other thing to ground us in a higher identity uh, that means we could be grounded in higher identity and still be identified that's the life of the spiritual practitioner right moving from one to the other but without that grounding then we are really um, driven to um, meet the demands of the body and the mind at the cost of others at the cost of the often the well-being of the natural world and that the, the that identification has, uh, has a strong grip and and draws on us without uh, without cessation, if you will. Hmm? The wants, the needs of 
uh, material identification. They have no no end, no limits. <clears throat> so, so at any rate, in different cultures, uh, the Godhead makes his uh, uh, appearance to different types of devotees um, and uh, different uh, nuanced approaches of love that are nonetheless, as I say, ego-effacing. They're they're actually um, uh, spiritual in in, in nature. <clears throat> Um, Krishna says in the Gita there that yadaya dahi dharma sigvani bhagavati bhara bhutanama dharma satadatmanam sujamam sambhavami yuga yugaikam yuga after yuga age after age millennium after millennium Bhaktivinoda in commenting on that said it means in other cultures outside of India as well in different ways yeah, he may appear and the dharma or the the practice may express itself slightly uh, differently and so forth. So we have saints in different cultures and whatnot. So the idea anyway being that there's a one fountainhead of divinity expressing himself in different ways and primarily in relation to different devotees who approach with different uh, nuanced um, types of, of love. <clears throat> this kind of idea that I'm talking about, of course, really is what our tradition is all about, stressing this and what are the types of love beyond material ego that could be uh, experienced in relation uh, to to the Godhead. So, um, the Advaita, who you're asking about, uh, is, is one of the many forms of the Godhead. We say another thing that besides appearing in relation to different devotees, we might say for different purposes also, although he has no purpose and nothing to fulfill, no need, the world is manifest. We have the manifest world of our sensual, mental, and intellectual experience, and so there's an aspect of the God that presides over such. Hmm? Um, If I was to give an example of the sun, we talked about it earlier. Let's look at the sun as again as something that's very important in our lives, um, and um, and use it as an analogy for God. So we can't live without the sun. We need the light. We need the heat. We need the vegetation that it produces. We need the vitality and enlivenment of the mind that the sunny day brings on, and so forth. Um, and, and when we look at the sun like this. At least we're looking at the sun <laughs> and remembering that we depend upon the sun, but we're also looking at it in relation to ourselves and our needs and the sun being a fulfiller of our needs, um, an enabler, if you will, in our everyday lives. That's good. It's a good start. But then there's, an, there's another kind of question that might arise. Like One is this one. What does the sun? What can the sun do for you? Hmm? You might think about all those things and be grateful. Hmm? Thank God. Thank sun for that. <laughs> but then the real, the, the 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 deeper thought is, what can I do for the sun? What can what can I do for the sun? <laughs> I mean, it's an interesting question, but uh, that might. Uh, that might cause the sun to show something, what, you're interested in what I'm about, like all these nuclear explosions that are going on on me. What is all that about? What's my life? What you're getting is a ray of me, a peak of me for a moment, a few hours. 
What, what, what am I doing all the time? Hmm? It's not what I'm just sending out, but what's in me that makes me send that. So what is the life of the sun? So that is kind of the approach that we have, what we're interested in, not so much in what God does for us. That's a beginning entry level and live with gratitude and so forth. And doing that thoughtfully uh, with good association could lead to this kind of very interesting uh question that, that almost mo- most people go, what the heck kind of a question is that? What can you do for the sun? <laughs> I want to know what's, what the sun's life is like. The sun gives me life. What is the life of the sun? What, what, how do, yeah, I have to become sun-like then to enter into the, into the sun. You have to become God-like to enter into the world of the Godhead beyond what the Godhead does for us in this world. What was what he... It could be pretty boring. Uh, what does he do for himself? Is a God just a servant of, of, of humanity? Hmm? That's an odd kind of idea of, of God, a very limited idea. So, um, <clears throat> anyway, Advaita is one of the faces of the God. It happens to be one that is has a name for the Godhead who's thought to be... Uh, um, Involved in that world uh, generation, if you will, generating the world, but um, uh, appears in the world um, with the uh, descent or appearance of Sri Chaitanya, who's a form of the Godhead, the founder of our tradition. Trying to bring everybody in, that's a hard one. (laughs) So, at any rate, okay, I'm trying. So, so, uh, I wrote a book about this. It's called Sacred Preface, about the Panchatattva. So, these five forms of the Godhead appearing um, in conjunction with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's appearance, one of them being Advaita. In, in our dimension, let's say, he was elderly of the, of the five features of the Godhead appearing in five persons, um, Kind of like five aspects of the Godhead's life appearing in, in, embodied in five different forms within the dimension of human experience, conducting themselves in relation to human affairs and 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 much more with a view to let to assist humans in realizing the full scope measure. A potential of the human life, which is said to be different from animal life, and we don't stop there. We say it's it's more complex than animal life. It has more intelligence, but it's only really distanced from animality, humanity is distanced from animality as much as it uses intelligence, its intelligence for something more than animal uh, pursuits. So if we have good intelligence and we use it only for animal pursuits, well, you, know, you don't need it. You, you can get those things um, without the need of that. Mm-hmm. Higher intelligence. Higher intelligence should be for something higher, is the point. So from animality to humanity, and humanity properly um, uh, taken advantage of, 
in conjunction with good association, saintly association, results in spirituality. So from animality to humanity, humanity, humanity is kind of this, um, what do you say, this uh, junction between animal life and spiritual life. So Advaita, Nityananda, Shivas, Sri Chaitanya, Gadadhar, different manifestations of of divinity and his and his power, his shaktis. It's a crazy, wild idea, extraordinary idea, appearing in human form and for the purpose of um, helping humanity realize its potential. So Advaita, amongst this, these five, was the elderly. <clears throat> And he had a bunch of sons, right? And some of them, um, they uh, followed Advaita's uh, example and teaching, and some of them didn't. And so someone is asking, well, you know, this is a pretty ordinary guy, extra, extra excuse me, extraordinary guy, and um, how could some of his sons not, you know, follow, follow him? Hmm. Yeah. Well, it doesn't always work like that in our experience, right? <laughs> uh, so, in that sense, it's not so extraordinary that they uh, they were they were uh, uh, didn't take up the family business, if you will. Um, but um, I think it's important to note the uh, the differentiation differentiation, and this is. Um, um, as you go higher, the differentiations are smaller but loom larger. Another example before I go on about that would be like the higher we go, the more advanced we become, the more our faults are magnified in our own perception of them. So sometimes we hear great saints speaking about themselves and in ways that we think are... You know, phone, phone I had your problems. <laughs> That's not a fault, sir, Asadu, Swami. And, uh, what you're calling a fault is, 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 is really ornament and so forth. But the nature of the progress, as we approach the infinite, we are finite. So the more we feel finite next to the infinite, you're going to feel finite. Then hmm? for, to afford intimacy, of course, the infinite has to and make a finite like appearance in order for them to be intimacy otherwise we'll be as close as we get it as much as we'll be distanced at the same time they think oh my god I'm oh my god I'm next to the god <laughs> so um, but with regard to the sadhana the spiritual practice and so forth this is a tendency um, to that the faults what might would be magnified in the mind of the devotee as he or she progresses, um, and so the deviation that is marked in Chaitanya Charitamrita of the sons, some of the sons of Dvaita, might seem rather small to you hmm, when we focus on what it actually was, hmm? and then you think, oh, well, that's not such a bad, bad thing, but it's brought out. Because it means a lot to Krishna Kaviraj Goswami because of his bhava, because of his particular feeling for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? And that which he's promoting in his book. In his book, he's promoting us, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, uh, we say hagiography, sacred biography. Sacred biographies are uh, political in a sense in that they, 
I don't mean it like modern politics, but they seek to promote a certain angle of vision about the person whose life is being described. So Chaitanya Charitamrita of Krishna Das Goswami is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu as experienced by Rupa Goswami. That's basically what the book is. Hmm? As seen through the lens of Rupa Goswami. And some other lenses are a little bit included here and there too. Hmm? Some room for them, but this is primarily it. So, um, And Rupa Goswami was particularly empowered to present the esoteric um, reality of the, the divinity of Krishna appearing as Sri Chaitanya. So it's a great work, the work of Krishnadasi took the Sanskrit teaching, which was a very sophisticated uh, language for the upper class of people, uh, educated people at the time, and put it in the Bengali, which was uh, a common uh, vernacular and uh, widely became was able to widely circulate that. A huge uh, contribution, right? So... Because he has something in mind there that he's uh, presenting, it's very focused. Sri Krishna Chaitanya Radha Krishna Nahayanya Rupanuga Janara Jivan. Uh, he uh, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. You know, here is that is the is the password to enter into the 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 tattva, the the spiritual um, conclusions uh, from a philosophical point of view of the Bhagavat, which is a big book of 18,000 verses of Sanskrit, uh, hard to understand, even in its time, would speak of now, separated from its time by thousands of years in a different culture, and so it's a different book, difficult book to understand. That it, he, following the Goswamis, has um, uh, emphasized this point of tattva, was just one line, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swami. The fountainhead of divinity is Krishna. He is the full expression of the Godhead, who can fully reciprocate in, in measure in relation to all types of approaches and so on and so forth. And, and so because he's making this point, other theistic perspectives could be considered a deviation. Hmm? Hmm? although they may have their own validity um and for and 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 for example when he is making this point in the third chapter of the first part of the book um the adi lila krishna's two bhagavan swayam he argues for a long time with with as re- relative to the standard of knowledge of the time which was the sacred texts were the standard of knowledge so if you could make a point and give reference to the sacred texts and so forth, then you could prevail. So from an epistemological point of view, citing the, the scriptures was how we you know, know what we know about, about things that, that can't be known with just the reason or just the senses. There are things beyond their reach, and that's good to know, and they're known by revelation. And the sacred texts are a prominent body of revelation, so exploring very, um, you know, his 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 acquaintance with the sacred text, the revelation was extraordinary, and he makes a very powerful uh, and very compelling argument there for um, 
the idea, central point of our teaching, that Krishna is the fountainhead of all of all avatars. After he makes that point, though, he says, but, you know, if somebody sees him, Chaitanya, as as the avatar of of, um, uh, of Vishnu, then it could be seen like that, too. You could look at it like that. Hmm? So he shows a little generosity there. You can see he's arguing for a new perspective and in, in relation to other religious conceptions, Vaishnav um, conceptions of the time, particularly the Ramanuja idea he brings up. If you study the verses that he quotes, some of some of the verses, you can see who he's, who he's thinking, what's in his mind, who he's thinking about when he's making his point. Hmm? Um, so, um, he is a little generous, but um, in other places he's not quite that strong or that generous when he says those who worship Vishnu but they don't worship Krishna but they don't worship Sri Chaitanya they are asuras hmm? it's, a, it's, a, it's a strong word um, and then he gives an example he says well Duryodhan he worshipped Vishnu in as much as he followed the Varnashram the center and heartbeat of which is Haritoshanam, the satisfaction of Hari of Vishnu. So he worshipped Vishnu by this. Following Varnashram in this sense means like being a good American citizen. So much so that, you know, they have this, uh, I know about it because it happened in Silicon Valley a couple of years ago, and I have an ashram out in that vicinity, as you know. And it, I mean, it was in the news that the citizen of the year, they have this award, you could win it. <laughs> I don't know if you want a minute win it under the present administration, but you're good. Uh, it was under the previous uh, administration. It was given to some guy in Silicon Valley, and the president showed up and pinned a medal on his chest. You're the citizen of the year. You know? So, um, Parnashram is some, something like that. You know, you can be a good citizen. If you can be the best citizen of the year, you can get the pin and be a Brahma. Something like that. So it's uh, it's uh, it's some kind of worship of Vishnu, all in relation to this world, without a care about his world, right? As we were speaking earlier, when we use the example of the sun, but um, it has it has value. Different people or different levels are going to approach. So, um, so he gives the example Duryodhan, who was the, no Duryodhan. Duryodhan was on the was on the opposing party to Arjuna and the Pandavas in the Battle of Kurukshetra, that the Gita, which is the setting of the Bhagavad Gita. So Duryodhana was, he said, Krishna says Duryodhana is was a worshipper of Vishnu, but he attacked Krishna. Hmm? So it's an example how you could be a devotee of Vishnu, but he's considered an asura hmm? in that he was. Fighting with Krishna, so he said, "Those who worship Krishna, but are opposed to the idea that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is is Krishna, or is divine, then we dismiss their worship of Krishna. Like we dismiss, we don't consider Duryodhan a devotee. When when Krishna was invited by Duryodhan to, to Hastinapur, where he before the war of uh, Mahabharat, the, there was a royal 
greeting for Krishna arranged by Duryodhana, and um, uh, he wanted to get Krishna on his side, an overture to Krishna. So Krishna came to the invite, and there were trumpets and kettle drums and procession, and a big feast was prepared and so forth, and Krishna came in, and what did he do? He ignored it all and went to the house of Vidura. Now, the royalty had invited him, and Vidura was not amongst the royalty by any means. Hmm. Uh, he was a, a poor person, a saintly person, but not amongst the royalty. And Vidura wasn't home. His wife was home. And Krishna said, Hey, I'm hungry. She said, Krishna, what are you doing in my house? <laughs> he said, I'm hungry. She's thinking, why would he come here? There's a feast over there. I don't have anything. Then he looked and he said, well, there's some bananas hanging there. It's like if you come to our ashram in Manavan. There's nothing to eat. It's always bananas. Anyway, it's always some, always some, now, of course it's bananas. But I mean. And so he said, well, give me some bananas. So she picked the bananas and she was so ecstatic that Krishna was in her house. She was peeling the bananas and offering him the peels and throwing away the bananas. But the real beautiful thing was that he was eating the peels. Hmm? Right? So he's eating the bhakti, the love. And so when they were wondering, where did he go? He kind of disappeared. I said, hey, hey, the word is he's offered Vidura's house. And Vidura's with Nards. What are you doing in my house? So they go to his house. And then Vidura marvels at the fact that he came to my house. And um, uh, and Nard said, yeah, and he's eating the peels. And that's pretty... Extraordinary. Mm. Um, and so then they asked, well, why didn't you go to you know, the feast? He said, well, they're not my, they're not my devotees. <laughs> I only, ashnami prayatatmana, I eat, patram pushpam palam toyam, yome bhakti prayachati, taram bhakti paritam ashnami prayatatmana. Those offerings that are made me with me, whether it be a fruit, he says, in the Gita, a flower or water, a fruit, not many fruits, a flour, a glass of water, hmm? not all three, but uh, any one of them, which anybody has fruit or flour or, or water, hmm? if it's offered to me with devotion, then I will accept it. It speaks, but this is a, this is a verse about Uttam Bhakti, Ananya Bhakti. It speaks about the fact that in love, the the in love there are no rules, and where there are rules, there is no love. Rules are the breakdown of love. In love, there is this seamless kind of union between lover and beloved, and sharing, um, and and um, and the love is the food. Hmm? You know, there was an old song: "When you're hungry, love will keep you alive." You know? <laughs> the eagles. <you> know? So <laughs> that's an old one. <laughs> when we're hungry, love will keep us alive. <laughs> so that's like you know, Mahaprabhu and the Ratha Yatra listening to a cinema song. You got you got to have the right ear <laughs> to catch it. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so he's really uh, you know living on on the love. Bhavagrahi Janardana. It was said about Raghunathdas Goswami. Raghunathdas Goswami, who's uh, wonderful, one of his wonderful books, Muktacharit, we are studying in the morning. Um, he um, was not from a Brahminical uh, family, and um, 
Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave him the stone from Govardhan that he himself worshipped and told him how to worship that. And so later the uh, the, the Brahminical um, caste criticized Raghunath Das saying, well, he wasn't a Brahmin, so he didn't have the right to worship God in the form of the Shaligram, so he was given this stone, it's a lower thing, something like this, some criticism. Um, um, because Mahaprabhu told Raghunath how to worship the Govardhan Shila, and he himself worshipped the Govardhan Shila. There's a procedure for doing the archan. There's so many technical rules in the realm of ritual, how to approach and how to make the offering accompanied by mantra, mudra, and so on and so forth. Mahaprabhu dispensed with all of that. No rules, right? And he didn't have any money. He was a sannyasi. And so he bathed the deity that he used to wear around his neck with his tears. It came from his heart. His heart was a fountain of tears that poured through the opening of his eyes. And he bathed the deity. Because every day that the deity is bathed, just like you get up and bathe, then bathe Krishna, then you make breakfast, make breakfast for Krishna, take what's left over. You know, this is kind of the part of our day. So he did this in his own way. These, this ritualistic uh, worship of Krishna, of course, transports one ultimately to the direct, it's kind of a symbolic representation of Krishna, the form of the, the deity, the murti, the... the, the um, but, but entering into that, one, can, one enters into the leela itself. And those same exchanges, feeding Krishna is also going on, offering Arctic is also going on, and so forth. But it takes a different shape. So it doesn't look like that formally, but if you look carefully, you see, oh, they're offering Arctic. You know, Pujapad Narayan Maharaj used to give the example of the gopis' hearts were like a ghee lamp. And their eyes were looking at him like this from top to bottom <laughs> and offering arati. Something like Raghunath Das uh, Goswami in other texts, and Jiva Goswami also in Gopal Champu speaks on a verse from Bhagavatam in the Venugita where Radha looks at Govardhan and praises Govardhan as Haridasvarya, the best of the servants of Hari. And they list how Gordon is offering 64 different items of, of worship every day to Krishna, just by being who he is. He has caves which make nice sleeping beds, there's nice breezes because he's up high and that's the fan, and then there are birds who are chirping on him, who reside there, whom he gives shelter to, and they're doing the kirtan and so on and so forth, and there are waterfalls and, and so on, and flower. And, so the, all the different types of uh, of items of worship, Govardhan embodies. Hmm? So it's an invisible puja that is happening every day as Krishna with his friends head to Govardhan. And, uh, so the idea, of course, being that in Raga Bhakti, all these lesser ideas of worship are all contained. The Varnashram essence of it is there. The Vaidhi Bhakti essence of it, of it is there, and so on and so forth all contained within the rag there and, and, and something more as well. Hmm. So, um, where do we get to there from? Um, right, right. Yeah, so, uh, so at any rate, um, the, uh, the, yeah, so the love of 
Vidura's wife and Vidura for Krishna was such that he would eat the banana peels. She was, her heart was what's being offered. And Krishna says in that verse in the Gita, offer me a fruit, a flower, a water, I will eat it. Ashnami, I'll eat it. You don't normally eat flowers, but if, if you offer me one, I, again, I'll, I'll live on, live, if you offer me with love, that such simple items. He's really asking for, for the love itself. So our, by contrast, Duryodhana made this huge royal feast, right, of all kinds of great things, and Krishna was uninterested. He spent money on them. He had them properly prepared and everything. He had no interest. He said, oh, he, he, he doesn't like my devotees, so I really don't want to have anything to do with him. Hmm? So Krishna does use this example. Well, Duryodhana, he was a worshiper of Vishnu. He followed Varnashram. But he didn't have devotion to Krishna, and therefore we consider him a non-devotee. So if someone worships Krishna, but doesn't acknowledge Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then we consider him a non-devotee. He makes this kind of strong statement, and he gives an example. This is his bhava, his emotion, spiritual emotion for Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So sometimes, you know, he kind of moves away from that and acknowledges, yes, there are different approaches, and that's also good, and there are different angles of vision. Sometimes his bhava's in, in the foreground, and and he just can't tolerate anything. If you don't like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then uh, don't care who else you worry. What other form of God do you worship? You're wasting your time. So that's kind of the way he looks at it. Um, of course, this is very practical, because Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is Krishna in a form that makes Krishna most accessible. Hmm. Uh, to the inner kind of core of what he's about, really. Hmm. So if you really want to worship Krishna, then you, you really do need to worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, in the full sense of the term, if you want to satisfy Krishna. Uh, the, the, the way is through through Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Therefore it's said, and rightfully so, the more one takes shelter of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the closer one comes to Radha. Hmm. Someone asked me, it was your daughter, your daughter. No, it wasn't your daughter. Who was it? It was some, oh, somebody else. Somebody said, oh, not here. It's hard. How do I, I have a hard idea of figuring out how to like, kind of like conceptualize the worship of Radha. I said, oh, it's very simple. Hmm. Worship Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So that was easy. Yeah, it's easy to conceptualize because he's kind of like us, you know, doing kirtan and so forth. Hmm. So, and, if if you don't like Radha, then what's the meaning of liking Krishna, <laughs> right? When we look at Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, we see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. We look closer, we see, oh, if Krishna's there. If we look closer, what do we see? Oh, Radha is there. Hmm? So, he's the way. Hmm? And he is the goal. Radha Krishna Nahayanya Upanuga Jane Rajivan. So this is the main point of Chaitanya Charitamrita. Whereas... The sons of Advaita, hmm? some of them accepted this, and others, they chose to look at Advaita as the Supreme Godhead, and maybe Chaitanya as an avatar or something, but that Advaita is the, that Narayan, that Vishnu is the fountainhead. Hmm? This was their deviation. Now that puts, <laughs> puts it in perspective, right? It's not, such a bad thing, after all. But it's a bad thing for Krishna Das in his emotional, you know, moment of of he he's like 
presenting to the world who is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and he gets excited about that. <laughs> who is he, and what, what, is it, what does it really mean to worship him? What is Krishna, Krishna Leela, and what, what are the implications of Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam? And then there's these sons of Advaita, you know. And they're thinking, you know, Advaita's two Bhagavan Swayam, you know. Advaita's the source, of, forget about them. Hmm. So, um, that's how he, he looks at it. It's a major deviation and it's a small one at the same same time. Depends how you feel. Hmm? So when you can feel that it's a big def, big deviation, then you're really making progress. <laughs> right. So um, how that could happen? Well, of course, we uh, we do uh, understand that however one feels towards the Godhead, if you will, it is a product of association. So, if you want to look at them like that, then you can't really blame them in one sense. They were already developed enough by previous association to have a certain perspective that even the weight couldn't change it. So, in one sense, it should be honored. Chaitanya hmm? hmm? Mahaprabhu did show that himself when, when someone had already attained a stai, a bhava, a dominant emotion for the Godhead, then he didn't interfere with that. He, he, he bowed down to that. But the, de- the details of them, it, you know, it's not brought out in Chaitanya Jara. And this is just a, you know, the basic point of the deviation. And in the Advaita literature, there are sacred texts delineating the life of Advaita and the ontology of, ontology of Advaita after Chaitanya Charitamrita and so forth. Um, and uh, they don't go into it either, but hmm, there is a, there is a, a couple of uh, books by a scholar, a lady scholar, forget her name, I have her books, all about Advaitas, uh, like the, the Balya Sutra and the, what is the other book of, about Advaitas? There's three of them, the later books. Advaita Prakash, yeah. So, uh, But they don't go into the other sons, but that's the point. I learned from Jayatirtha. We were talking about him the other day. He didn't bring it out quite like I did tonight, but he's, he's, that was a deviation. So, pass that on, send that class to Parameshwar. Yeah. Okay. So I thought, though, that the, uh, at least one of the three sons that deviated took to Advaita Vedanta view, not what you used. I didn't hear that, but uh, that would be a bigger deviation. <laughs> yeah. But that's always been my understanding. No, I never heard that. Uh, so, what else? What's the time? Bit of a roundabout answer. Seven forty already. Hmm. Seven thirty-one. Okay. Well, we usually stop at seven thirty. But if you, any, anyone want to ask something else about that in particular, that a different question. We should we'll try it. Okay. It's been a hard question to try to come up with. Um. You say that Krishna and Leelas are always happening. Is that supposed to be always happening in our mind and our heart? Because when I started Canto 11, it said that Krishna wiped out the 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 Yadavas and all the dynasties so he could go back to the spiritual world. Mm -hmm. So his stuff's not always happening here? Uh Uh-huh. Well, the brief answer is that, that no, it is, but... The material world is pretty big, and it's uh, we have a multiverse conception. So, 
it's not, of course, it's not entirely clear what the Bhagavatam's conception of a universe is in relation to modern scientists' conception of a universe. So we don't know if the Bhagavatam is referring to galaxies as universes. It's just a word, right? But anyway, the the idea in the Bhagavatam is that there are many um, many worlds, let's call it, um, outlook on the um, material manifestation. And um, as each moment of the Leela, the play of Krishna, let's say in this world, expires, right? Okay. And the next moment comes, okay. and then the previous moment is manifesting in another of the material worlds. Hmm? Not cyclical, but at the same time. When, when, he, when he passes from childhood to boyhood, the childhood Leela is beginning somewhere else. Hmm? And so it's perpetually going on in that sense. In this world, um, which is infinite. So the material world is also infinite. And then, of course, it, the whole show is thought to become dormant at some point and then comes out again. But meanwhile, those same pastimes are eternally being performed in another sense in the Paravyom, in, in the spiritual dimension, the three quarters, rather than only here. So they're in that way. Another way in which they're always going on. A third way in which they're always going on is that they're always manifesting in the hearts of different devotees. Some devotee is meditating on some minute, some second, some fraction of a second, some blink of an eye of the Leela of Krishna, and they're completely consumed by that. Hmm? So much that, so that the blink of the eye is thought to be a problem. Something that we don't, we don't, we're not looking at beautiful enough things to find that the blinking of our eyes is a problem. Hmm? A defect. But this is how the beauty of Krishna is, is, is depicted for those who have the eyes to see. It's also a way of saying these eyes are deficient for seeing Krishna. Atashi Krishna Namadi Nabhaved Grahamindri. Sevan Mukahiji Bados Ayamevas Pratida. If you want to see Krishna, then you need Premanjana Charita Bhakti Lodjana. You need eyes of love, and love is born from the womb of sacrifice, seva. So it's a different ego. We have an enjoying, taking ego. We have to develop a serving, giving, loving identity or ego. And then we'll be able to see the world differently. Like I said earlier, if you love someone, they'll tell you all their secrets. If you approach nature with a loving disposition, nature will reveal her biggest secret to you. Her secret is that she has a soul. And it's us. As much as we are part of nature, because us and matter make the whole thing go round. So that's a big secret. Whereas if you go the other way, instead of loving nature, but you're <laughs> dissecting her and trying to conquer her and so forth, then it seems apparent that you lose the sight of the, the Atma, as is done in modern, much of modern science and uh, philosophy of mind. Hmm. Great loss. Does that help? That's the quick answer. Okay, all right, so I think we'll, we'll stop there. Shri Shri Gauradamadava Ki Jai, Gaur Bhaktavrinda Ki Jai.
கோவில் பிரேமநந்தி